1: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and three hundred and sixty-five-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode fifty-five of Histories of the 55? Unexpected. It's half of 110. It is. What are we doing here? We're audio-googling through history, exploring the histories of things you didn't even know had a significant story to tell, like parrots or linen. Eight,
3: great, and hate. I think we should do
2: what, the, the history eight. of numbers. Yes.
3: That's a great thing. I think idea. we should do, or, or food, or we, we, eating, or slows, hoes, and bows in honour of our <laughs> in honor of our bowtie discussion in our last podcast And we'll be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how simply everything has a history, and crucially, how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew? Who knew, for example, Sam, that the history of lions is in fact all about Gustavus Adolphus, the Lion of the north that amazing Swedish King it's also about ice cream and it's about freedom or the, the history of hats and I want to do hats It's all about witchcraft, kingship and politeness Oh and bishops miters which brings us round of course it does to the Reformation mm, once very again. Good.
2: Uh, The man sitting opposite me is the primate of preservation. It's Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. It's James Daybell. Hello, hello. Hello, James. And
3: the man sitting opposite me is the merman of maritime history. (laughs) It is the truly wonderful Dr Sam Willis. Hello.
2: Just an early warning here. We're we're recording in the shed down the end of my garden. So this is a shed cast, and that means there'll be probably dogs and trains. We are babysitting three dogs today. Yeah, we're babysitting three dogs as As well. well. The train station's just out there. So that's what those noises are. Don't panic. Um, Each week, one of us takes the lead. This week, it's Big Jim's turn. Big Jim. Nobody has ever
3: called me Big Jim. Here we are. This is for you. I think you've seen these before, but this is my prop.
2: Okay. Well, For let's just say what we're doing. We're doing the this history week. of with the history of handwriting. I don't believe there's a history of handwriting. There apparent. is a no. there, there's an incredibly interesting, not tedious handwriting yeah, no history that. of handwriting. It's to do with being taught handwriting. Yeah. Who taught different people? I wonder if men and women were taught at different ages and Ooh. in different ways. Gender handwriting. Yes. You can probably recognise it you as well. You can genderise handwriting. Genderise handwriting. So different periods, different locations. Who yep. was taught to write in what ways? Kind of hierarchy of handwriting, isn't there? Ooh, That's, yes there is. Mm, so some ways of writing hands were sort of slightly more impressive than others. I mean, I'm, I'm slightly swimming here because you're an actually actually an expert on the history of handwriting. <laughs> so I'm going to pass it well, over not an expert, to Not an
3: expert on, on handwriting, but an expert on manuscripts and letters. Uh, and so handwriting features... Really, really clearly. Yep, there's a big history of handwriting, and we can trace handwriting from a sort of Etruscan hand through into Roman script, through the sort of the ancient world the rediscovery of handwriting under Charlemagne, Carolinian minuscule. What do you mean by the rediscovery? Was it lost? Well, it's so, so, so handwriting, a very sort of ornate form of handwriting that was used for business was basically, yeah, rediscovered from old manuscript texts. And then we can sort of see what happens in the medieval period, the development of italic hand with humanism, and you can follow it all to, you know, to modern day hand. So we can look at it, in that way. We can also then think about, as you say, teaching of handwriting, who gets taught it is connected to literacy. Literacy is connected to knowledge and education. And we can chart that chronologically. We can chart that by gender. We can differentiate by different regions, different countries around the world. Mm. We can look at um, the difference between oral cultures and manuscript cultures. We can think about the advent of print and how all of them kind of wash up into each other. We can think about the uses of handwriting. So, you know, who has been able to write? Oh, the control Um, of handwriting. The control of handwriting. You know, so, you know, I suppose a sort of very simplistic model would be apogee of handwriting under the under the Romans, and then a sort of demise afterwards. And handwriting tends to be associated with the church in, in the sort of early medieval period. And then by about the 15th, 16th century, with the rise of Renaissance humanism, we see handwriting as a skill spread out to sort of diverse groups, then the story after that is the spread of handwriting.
2: But also, interestingly, it's also connected to everything that to do with history. It's all about archives and letters and documents and yes. things like that. But I think the, the key thing for our listeners today is that handwriting is a window into all sorts of things. Yeah. It isn't just about mapping and plotting how people wrote at different times. It's all of the wonderful information you can glean from why people yes. wrote differently at different times. It's also
3: why medieval history is so much more easy to do than any other type of history. Well, um what, what because, because so little survives. You have to be in, incredibly sort of scholarly to do medieval history because you need to be, you need to master various sorts of hands, you need to master, you know, multiple languages. But, I, and I'm... Talking completely tongue-in-cheek here, but you can more or less read a body of medieval documents in a way that you can't in the 19th century because suddenly the amount of historical records that have survived is enormous. Yeah. Absolutely enormous. Okay, well, where are we going to start? You've got. Let's look at this prop thing. Um, I have a a collection that I playfully called the Daybell Manuscripts. A very <laughs> a very kind student of mine, a final year student at Plymouth University, did a an internship for a local Sussex law firm, actually, and the law firm was basically throwing out a series of ancient deeds and indentures to do with property. And he asked me if I would like them. Mm, Yes, please. And and I said, yes, please. And then over a series of years, I got these packages of documents. uh, And I used them for paleography classes at Plymouth. Uh, But here... Have a look at those. You've used these for history masterclass we as well, have We use this you? for
2: um, our history masterclass thing where we um, teach people, again, paleography and the wonders of documents. And if you're all interested in history, you should check out the historymasterclass.com. We might actually um, talk, talk about, about, about that later. later. You have new plans afoot, We've got you? new plans afoot and new courses and things. Anyway, so there's a, there's a huge variety of different types of handwriting here. Um, lovely one from 1799, something from 1804, so that's all quite similar, uh, but some much older stuff as well, um, and some, some newer stuff. So, well, I mean, let, let's try and tear this apart a little bit how do we how do don't
3: you- tear my documents <laughs> handwriting is all about the raw materials of history yeah okay so in a very basic level you know these are the kind of building blocks that lead to history these are the primary sources the documents and for pre-modern period so before the invention of the typewriter most documents are are handwritten where i want to go first of all is uh, the point that you were talking about earlier on which is about teaching handwriting mm how does handwriting get taught? Yeah. And why does it change from location to location? And why does it change from location to location? And I want to start with... I have a little um, handwriting manual here. John de Beaucesny's, a book containing diverse sorts of hands. Have a look at that. Uh, we talked a little bit about this when we looked at the pen. And what we talked about there was about... We cut a quill and we talked about the different um, ways of holding a pen. But... What's fascinating here is that thinking about how people were taught, some of it is practical, that they may have a writing master who teaches them, or they may learn at a sort of basic school, dependent on what period we're talking about. But for the 16th and 17th centuries, there are writing manuals. Mm. So this is a very early one. It's a very, very early. 1571. No way! Okay, so it's got got a a
2: good um, nought on how to hold your quill. It's slightly earlier than that. I think this is a slightly later... Your body upright, stoop not with your head. Very good, isn't
3: it? But also what it does is it provides you a series of alphabets for different types of script. Here is the secretary alphabet... And then it shows you all the sort of different ways of writing.
2: So it it wasn't necessarily four secretaries. No. But it was just described as the secretary alphabet. So at certain periods in history, there are different alphabets and different styles of writing the alphabet, aren't there, at the same time? So you could could sit down and write a letter in a completely different way from I if we were living in century.
3: Absolutely. So for the period that I primarily research on, it's sort of 1500 through to about 1800. For the 16th century and into the sort of early 17th century, the secretary script, secretary form of handwriting. A script is is a different form of handwriting. A hand is the individual's performance of that particular form of hand. Yep. So a secretary script, it largely is
2: used by secretaries. It is a business hand. But what I think is interesting about all of this is the way you're taught to do handwriting. Is it's It's the antithesis of what I like about handwriting. Yeah. So they're, they're actually trying to make everyone write in the same way, whereas yeah. I've spent my entire life right, trying, trying to, to write in a, different, yeah. in a different way from everyone else. I mean, actually, modern day
3: handwriting is much more difficult to read yeah. because it isn't uniform. Whereas once you've learned to read something like this, you know, if there's a sort of a neat secretary hand, it's pretty easy to Decipher. But there are various ways in which children would have been taught to write. They'd normally be taught around the age of seven to write. They'd be taught to read slightly earlier than that. Reading comes before writing in the in the sort of sixteenth and seventeenth century, which is important. Um, They'd be taught in various ways, and you can see pen trails on various books and manuscripts that survive, family Bibles. Mm -hmm. Uh, these sort of compendiums that you'd have within the household often have scrawls and practice signatures on. Um, they use sandboxes where there isn't access to paper. So you have a box full of sand and then a stick, and you practice your letters in the that 's cool in the sand isn't I used that? to write
2: I, well my, me and my kids have written on the beach, but I used to write, love writing on the beach. Yeah. I remember um going for a walk in Cornwall to a very beautiful beach just north of Newquay, south of Padstow, where there 's a very kind of a natural amphitheater of a um, of a beach like a semicircle, and the cliffs are sort of about, you know two hundred feet high, and someone had drawn an extremely rude <laughs> picture and some rude writing on the uh, on the beach and then had left. So there are lots of, lots of very sort of posh middle-class people walking around going, oh, National Trust, this is lovely. There <laughs> seems to be a huge penis on the, uh, anyway, writing, you know on, on the beach. Writing on the beach. Writing on the beach. Writing on the sands, great. Um, I hadn't really thought about that, though, in terms yeah. of doing it without paper. Paper has, until fairly recently, been a relatively expensive
3: commodity. For the 16th century you know, for, for, for an ordinary person to buy paper would be a significant outlay of a weekly wage. Yep. You know, so you think about different ways in which people would have written, written on walls, written on pots, you know, in all sorts of ways. And um, what I've got here is a, a little exam for you, a little test. Great. When I started off my PhD, I had no paleography and I decided that I was going to do a PhD on letters, 16th century letters. And the first thing that I had to do was basically teach myself to read a secretary hand. And I went up to the Institute of Historical Research in London and had a a whole couple of terms of paleography. And there's nothing better than sitting down with 3,000 manuscripts and reading through. See if you can read this. This is a very neat secretary hand. It's written for Elizabeth St. John, so a a noblewoman. It's written for her by a secretary. They date... The date rough is periods, it's, it's late Elizabethan. Okay, it's undated, but so it's late Elizabethan. Yeah, so we're talking about probably fifteen 1590s. Oh, okay. No,
2: not good. Uh, good, Mister Secretary. Ooh, very good. Although uh, the former acknowledgement of your honourable favours to me, and um, I don't know what that is, and. Uh, something. Maybe mine. And mine, yeah, to me and mine, to me yeah. and mine, are not sufficient Good to show forth a dense thankfulness. Due, due thankfulness. Due thankfulness. Yet other... Uh, so the eight abilities. Uh, if other other a, abilities, B, y. yeah. yeah. Uh, failings and... Um, I... And, and I beseech you. It's well, it's a great letter, in that it just goes isn't on and it, on and on and on, doesn't
3: it? Isn't it great? Do you find that sort of difficult to to read?
2: Yeah, a little naturally. difficult, but um, I, I I have some experience of reading yes. this. But yes, I, mean, yes, I, yes. I think I, I find that easier yeah. than most people would. But I also think because it's a very clear secretary hand, yeah. it wouldn't take people long to actually yeah. sort of. And sort the way out. you do it is so what you do is you break it down, and you have an alphabet. Yeah, we're going to
3: do a whole thing on paleography uh, for our How to Be a Historian mini-series, um, but you break it down letter by letter, yeah. uh, and you can identify the shape. But what this does, you talked earlier on about a hierarchy of hands, yeah and Keith Thomas has this brilliant article about the meaning of literacy, and what he argues is that there are different hierarchies of manuscript, hands, and printed typefaces, and you shouldn't assume that just because somebody is literate in one, so can read one type of handwriting or can read a particular type of print, that they are literate in all. Mm -hmm. So the fact that somebody could read black letter print, which was basically the typeface that you would use to teach children to read... Or when you want to exaggerate certain points in a proclamation or, say, in the Bible, you put it in black letter because it emphasises it. You shouldn't assume that somebody who can read that can actually read secretary hand.
2: Okay, so there's levels of literacy as well as hierarchy of handwriting. Total levels of of literacy. I wonder what they started being taught then. Is there a kind of a basic basic hand that you... So it would depend
3: on whether you are male or female. Mm. It depends on what period. If we think about the... I'm assuming more men were taught to read than women. Yes. I mean, you measure literacy by uh, counting signatures. So you can go across historical documents and you can look at signatures. And we've done the we mentioned that that signature, history, signature before. We've mentioned yeah. that. So you can map it. Yes, more men have access to school earlier. And also more men have a practical use for writing. If we 're looking at sort of coming into the nineteenth century, I think you're seeing more and more women able to write. but we can certainly map handwriting. Uh, we can certainly look in the sixteenth century there 's a brilliant uh, study of the Willoughby family where they use household accounts, and you can basically describe the boy 's education and the girl 's education. The boy is taught to write secretary hand, which is sort of male business hand, while the girl is taught her uh, an italic hand. And italic starts off in the late fifteenth century in Italy as a as a scholarly hand. So it's a, a hand associated with scholarship and really? universities and humanists.
2: I like that. So it's, we should we you and I would essentially oh, write be, the same way. We be, yes, if we were in Italy in the fifteenth century, if we were if we were writing, I didn't know that. If we, cool. We'd also be writing in Latin.
3: To ah. each other and people across Europe, like a code, like mm-hmm. like a code. Oh, we should do codes next. I
2: think we are doing, code. we this are doing our, codes. Yeah, this next. is our This is our mini series. Yes. for our on on writing on isn't writing because yes. we're doing our book. What's our book about again, Sam? It is about the histories of the unexpected, James. Ah, the histories of the unexpected. <laughs> and when will <laughs> that be available for our Ooh, listeners to buy? Maybe a December 2018. So, so uh, you think a good Christmas present? I think for a people? good Christmas present. Yes. Okay. Anyway, so we are doing this is handwriting. We're also this doing is handwriting. doing the history of books, the history of codes, the history, the history of paper. paper. We've done pens and letters.
3: We're basically completely obsessed yeah. with writing, yeah. aren't we? Both but of back, us. back to what I was saying about yeah. italics. So, italics starts off in the late 15th, early 16th century as a scholarly hand, and then it sort of moves into the courts. Mm. So, it tends to be adopted by uh, administrators, yeah. so sort of um, government administrators. And then by the end of the 16th century into the 17th century, it's become a woman's hand. Mm. And
2: there's, there's a. So, the identity of particular hands changes?
3: Yeah, or, or wow. it's associated. So it's it's increasingly taught to women because there's a, a writing master uh, called Billingsley, uh, and he 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 writes in his book that it is taught because it is an e- it is an easier hand for women to write. <laughs> so this idea that women aren't as is educationally uh, adept, okay. and capable as men, that they need to be taught something that's sort of easier for them to to wow. grasp. You can track it through manuscripts as well. It's very rare to find women who write secretary hands towards the the sort of late Elizabethan period, although women like um Arbella Stewart or Queen Elizabeth the uh, First could write a series of hands, mm. could write interchangeably
2: and use them in different occasions. This idea of um the hierarchy of hands you mentioned yes. as well, um that's kind of leads on very neatly to to the the example that I've come up with. Oh, good. This appeals to me because of my book on the American Revolution. I I spent five years of my life studying the American Revolution. This is a book called The Art of Writing Reduced to a Plain and Easy System by John Jenkins in 1791. Hmm. So before the American... Revolution, before the War of American Independence, English handwriting manuals were available in the States. You're going to get where I'm going with this quite quickly. And then this is the first one that was American designed, American made and American produced. And it was endorsed by famous people like John Adams uh, and John Hancock. The, The key to understanding this is what it says in the title. It's a plain and easy system. This book essentially is all about the democracy of handwriting. It's the opposite, it's the breaking down of the hierarchy of handwriting. And he, this guy called John Jenkins, came up with a way of uniting the hand with the mind. So rather than having to learn the handwriting by sitting in front of a writing master and copying him for hours yeah. and hours and days and days and years and years, it was a way of. It's quite a lot of mindfulness, as we might call it now in this. So you study your letter and you think very carefully about how you're going to do it. You're not blindly copying someone, basically. You simplify the, the way it's, each letter is structured. You think about it, and then you reproduce it. And then, um, yeah, he called it the link between the hand and the mind. But what he really wanted to do here was to make handwriting not a prized skill, something that was accessible and available to everyone. But not just that, but everyone would then write in the same way. And so it, this, essentially, in 1791, so it's uh, roughly a decade or so after American independence, within yep. another decade, it's become the accepted standard of American handwriting. So you have an, you've mm, got this nationality right, handwriting right. between Britain and America. Oh, brilliant. And it's used as a means of vocalising and demonstrating national identity. Brilliant. Isn't that cool? Brilliant. Yeah. And it also tells you how they understood their own identity in um, relation to the British. And it also links into all this this kind of the, the wonderful early American problem. So it's very, you know, they, they win their independence, but it's complete chaos. It's complete, yeah. It's political yeah. chaos. No one's yeah. really sure about it. They think about fighting again, and they need unity. And one of the ways of doing it, realised by um, by John Adams, among others, was like, let's all start writing in the same way. And it's taught in and schools. that's the way you
3: disseminate it. Yeah. yeah. So
2: it's it's actually about National identity, which is why handwriting is all about chalk, <laughs> because we've done chalk. and national identity in the white cliffs have done about clocks, and about clocks, because' why is cl- that? uniformity We, we, we uniformity mm. and language yeah. and Latin, and those amazing blackboards in yes. America.: Yes. That, so that very briefly, just what I'll talk about again, because it was so lovely. They, um, some people refurbishing a school in Kentucky, was it? I think so. They took off the existing blackboards and found intact, beautifully preserved blackboards from the early 1900s. Lot. Yeah, with the ama- amazing handwriting. 100-year-old yeah.
3: lesson.
1: And the best part about Quince—they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
3: I want to go somewhere slightly different, which is atrocious handwriting. Oh, I have—that's good. I have the, the possibly not the world's worst. I wonder who does, officially. Um, But uh, I'm sure somebody does, somewhere. We should get
2: in touch with the Guinness Book of Records. Yes,
3: but I have... (laughs) I I often describe to my students that my handwriting is like a, a dyslexic spider on a concoction of... Acid and vodka. I mean, it's just, (laughs) to be honest, it's now got so bad because I I no longer write very much. I tend to type so much nowadays. But it's now got so bad that when I do, on the odd occasion, write, I can't actually read my own writing. It's so bad. I get that as well. Can you think of historical examples of appalling handwriting?
2: I'm... or i could if i was given more yeah, time yeah, yeah, yeah. is my back I, I threw answer. you a I threw you a google there. the thing the thing that gets me is nowadays
3: if you look at pushy parents and teachers it's all about you know getting the sort of the nice neat writing and we associate cleverness and advancement with neat writing but you know some of the cleverest people in the past have had appalling handwriting and there's a in doctors handwriting almost a sort of an intellectual nonsense
2: an intellectual disdain for neat handwriting just don't 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 escape my doctor question (laughs) i think that's not i've always we're allowed we're allowed to be platitudinous at points i'm gonna go here in defense of doctors okay so go on be defensive of doctors so this this thing about doctors we should do actually do this for the podcast of the signature right i think it comes purely from people observing doctors signing a prescription yes which they do yes um i don't know can the doctor get in touch? How many prescriptions do you sign in a day? Is it 50? Is it 20? Is it 100? Matt Lovell, you need to tell us. What's your handwriting we like? We know loads of doctors. Someone, <laughs> someone tell me. So I think that to make life simple, they turn their signature into, into like a little squiggle, basically, and yep. um, yep. which is where this whole myth of yep. doctors having a handwriting comes out. So yep. that's probably linked to the history of prescriptions. OK, this is probably one of the worst 16th century hands
3: I have ever come across, and... It has been transcribed. It looks like Arabic. By a brilliant friend of mine, Alison Wiggins, uh, who's up at the University of Glasgow and has run the uh, Bess of Hardwick correspondence project.
2: And this. Let me read is, it out to you. So it's George Talbot, Six Earl of Shrewsbury to Bess of Hardwick, 28th of June, 1568. Yeah. And it says quite clearly. <laughs> It's written non- for a it,
3: It's nonsense. <laughs> it's a kind of bizarre, spidery, later gothic. It is, isn't of, it? And this this guy is one of the wealthiest aristocrats in the country in Elizabethan England. He and his wife are keepers of Mary Queen of Scots. Really powerful. And he's writing to his wife here. And it. I mean, I have no idea whether she would have been able to read this.
2: No. I, I mean, I... But and you certainly did get that. You get you get examples of, of historical documents of great significance. Yes. And, you know, and international strong. moments. Yes. <laughs> Make an effort, please. Yes. Yeah. Not yeah, just yeah. for us, but surely for the person who's actually going to receive this. I have Mary Queen of Scots upstairs in a cupboard, and I think it's quite important that her head is not cut off. It for example, you know, it,
3: what does it say? It actually <laughs> says, to my dear wife, uh, To my uh, what does it say? To my dear gnome. Um, being here arrived at Wingfield late yesternight from Refford. Thou weary in tolling about yet thinking. I mean, one of the things that's interesting about this is the atrocious phonetic spelling. Yeah, yeah. So phonetic spelling is spelling things in the way that they sound, yeah. so that the way that they are. Can, can I just say that
2: I really love the word yesternight. Yesternight.
3: yesternight. Yeah. Yesternight, I Why did we met you? a friend. I know, yeah. I know. Yesternight, I went to bed. Beautiful y- language that we've lost yeah I think there's an interesting point here about the the connection between handwriting and intellect yeah. so you know nowadays we associate neat handwriting with some with with sort of intellect you think about in the past handwriting was seen the ability to write was in fact a a pretty arduous and sort of you know servile activity you know so the reason that a nobleman here doesn't write is because he has people who do that for him. He has clerks who do that. Why should he learn to do that when he's got a servant who can do it for him? But also intellectually, somebody like Chaucer didn't write himself. Mm. Chaucer used used an amanuensis. So the act, what an amanuensis is somebody who writes for you. We can should I, do, could I have one we should do something on amanuensis. It's like a secretary. It was like a little, a scribe. So you dictate, yes, we should we should get one. We should have a little minion. Can over, you, the applications
2: corner. for a history of unexpected Amenuensis,
3: amenuensis please. Or amanuenses, if, if, mm. if we want more, we could mm. have one, one each. each. But Chaucer dictated most of Canterbury Tales. Mm. And so the idea is that um, the sort of um, mechanical art of handwriting yeah. is not connected to the intellectual activity that was extremely enjoyable
2: Um, i have i have more do you well i have famous people's hands i'm buying handwriting i tell you what if you want to have a look at my handwriting everyone go onto the bbc website search for the silk road which is my three-part episode on um the silk road um, because i kept a diary and i took photographs and i pasted them in and i also wrote down poems and all sorts of fun stuff and there's um there's some great examples of my slightly odd um some might say unique handwriting um and one of the things i adored about going on my travels so much was um being able to talk to chinese people about their handwriting i've got my name written in chinese and in arabic as well um and it was great it was a bit of a cultural history of handwriting on the silk road as much as anything else so that's on the bbc4 website are you in awe of famous handwriting
3: famous people's handwriting so when for example you read a admiral lord nelson letter does it matter to you that you're reading The Great Man's Hand?
2: Um, it certainly did when I started off being a historian. Right, and now it's kind of, you've seen so, so much I, of it. I weirdly going, have my own history of response to handwriting. Right, writing. right. But, no, but that's particularly, I suppose, with 18th century naval officers, which is what I did my PhD in. But if yeah. I, I would probably find that buzz again if yes. I went to an archive and I got something Houston. written by Mary yeah. Queen of Scots or something, I don't know, but, yeah. which I had not come across, or Brunel. So yes, yes, it is it is a weird mixture. I think I'm anaesthetised to some periods and some subjects. Yes. But others I'm not. And I was totally blown away when I went and saw Brunel's sketchbooks yeah. and his diaries. Um Bristol Record Office was it would it have been or mm, news, Yeah, or maybe it was there. um it might have been a special exhibition at the SS Great Britain right, for the right. Brunel 2000. But anyway, they're amazing, and I, yeah. was, I was really quite moved. I, I, there was a collection recently that just got deposited. Well, they have to be famous for that to happen to you. You sort, don't, you don't get a, a chill if it's just Joe Bloggs or, rising. I mean, or a
3: discovery of something in a particular period. I still get, yeah. I still get that. But there, there was a big deposit um, a few years ago at Devon Record Office. Some papers were being thrown out by the Duke of Somerset uh, Is your he, house he, full he of was, things that have been moved, thrown out? No, 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 they're not, they're not mine. Oh, right. But he was basically getting... He was clearing it? the attic. Oh. So had basically discovered four boxes of documents relating to Devon and Wiltshire in from the 1580s through to post-Civil War, so into the sort of late 17th century. The Wiltshire stuff went to Wiltshire Record Office, the Devon stuff went to... Devon Record Office, and I had a PhD student working on it, and just going through some of that material, all the sort of big names of Elizabethan history and into sort of Restoration history. So Samuel, there are several Samuel Pepys letters there that nobody had ever had ever looked at, and so that kind I, actually, of thing. Actually,
2: I've not seen Pepys's handwriting, but I'd love to. Right, Pepys lost his lost his eyesight, so his
3: handwriting deteriorated really? later That's sad. on. Yeah. That's like
2: Beethoven. Going I, th- I think
3: I think he sort of started using, you know, people to Can we write do the them? history of deafness? Ooh, hearing. Yes. Hearing and sight. That would sight. be good. Do the history of hearing good. and sight. Yeah. Would you pay to own a famous person's manuscript? Definitely not. No. There is an enormous market. Letters yeah. go for millions. Yeah. Of uh, millions of pounds. A letter from letter I from will... Van Gogh and Gauguin went for five hundred and seventy nine thousand dollars. Gosh. A Clement Attlee letter from Mount Zedong went for seven hundred and thirty seven thousand. That's quite cool though. Um George Washington letter one point four four million dollars. Um, Albert Einstein two point one million another Albert Einstein letter went for three million. Um, another George Washington letter went for 3.2 million. Abraham Lincoln to Juan Horace Mann went for 3.4 million. Wow! Francis Crick to Michael Crick went for, for 5.3 million, and this is a groundbreaking seven-page letter from Nobel Prize-winning scientist Francis Crick to his son Michael, describing his beautiful discovery of DNA. <laughs> and there's another one from Zen Gong, the Chinese scholar. From ten eighty, which apparently recently went for thirty million dollars. Wow! We're in. I think we should we should we should forge (laughs) forge a series of letters. Don't tell anyone, James. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe
2: our letters will be worth a lot. Do you know what? I I would. um... You'd pay for a letter from me, wouldn't you? Yes, of course. No, I wouldn't. I absolutely wouldn't pay for a famous letter. I would pay for art Mm. without a shadow of a Mm. doubt. Mm -hmm. Art is my thing. I like being able to look at it. What's reminded me is also, just thinking about this, and the way people's handwriting changes. We uh, haven't talked about yes. that, but change over time. So from yes. an, the obvious one is from a child to an we adult. Boleyn, you were talking about Anne Boleyn, weren't you? We talked talking about Anne Boleyn, and yep. we've also talked about this in terms of the signature as well, yes. haven't we? Um, but one of the w- best ones I found was um, something I did for the Navy Records Society, which you should all look at, org. They've been publishing British naval letters from, like, 1893, yep. and they're absolutely fabulous. And one of the things that I published on their online magazine website was a collection... Of postcards sent back to the UK after the fall of Singapore in 1942. Mm. And what was really interesting about it mm. is that the, you can compare the handwriting of the man who went off to war in 1940, um, you know, 1939, with the handwriting of the man who is in a Japanese prisoner of war camp oh, in 43 and it's shocking. It's, 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 it's completely destroyed. Yeah. Uh, but that was one of the most moving things I've seen. Um postcards sent home right. from a Japanese prisoner of war camp amazing you should actually look at those i mean find out now uh navy and you click on online magazine now what they have here are standalone significant documents they've all been given a thousand word introductions from historians uh, mm-hmm. essentially it really doesn't cost very much to join and it's worth doing oh and there's another one that, um, it's a collection of letters from the lower deck of an of a naval ship in 1986 and it's a suicidal sailor writing home and oh, uh, gosh. it's desperately upsetting gosh. um and he is not having fun and um he's saying it's during his training. Mm. Um and, and his handwriting goes from being uh, everything's fine, I'm d i am know my training to be in the Royal Navy, I'm all good, to I mean, I, I think he was significantly mentally unwell, it all it all completely collapses. Mm. Um, but that's the interesting thing about handwriting is it requires fine motor skills of your hand. You need to be pretty compassmentus yep. in your head to do yep. it. Yep. And so health, it, it is an obvious, obvious thing that that, that affects handwriting. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so look at those. Do look at the letters from the lower deck, 1906. Deathbed wills, as well. People
3: often wouldn't write wills themselves. I'm just trying to find this. They were not able.
2: There we go. Our prisoner of war correspondence and the fall of Singapore. Um, and there's a collection of these things here. They're all stamped by the Japanese who had to... um... So he said, oh, brilliant. So colourful. Goodness me. So he's written the postcard. The postcard's gone through the Japanese kind of um, editorial... censors censors office. There's another one where this book's been writing... Completely normal letters home. Dear Mummy, um, I hope the vegetable patch is OK. All this is up. But it's actually in code. And what he's saying is, the Japanese have taken Singapore! <laughs> or, or, or whatever it is. There's some kind of a horrific event happening when these three submarines have sunk. And actually, it's all about his vegetables. Which leads us on very neatly to the history of codes. Codes, which, which, which we we'll are we'll talking next. about now. I also sense we'll come back to the history of handwriting and do a part we two. Will. We've got lots more to say you about You should certainly. also
3: go out and read Letters of Note. Very nice book introduced to me by my friend Jeff. Uh, jeff who? uh can't remember <laughs> yeah, your, your i don't, friend, I don't jeff. want to, i don't want to out my friends on air my lovely friend jeff jeff you know who you are yeah, there we go
2: <laughs> anyway um thank you for listening to this thank and you very much if you do like what you hear please leave us a review on itunes please do so it really makes a difference subscribe to the podcast tell all your friends we're on twitter you can follow me at dr sam willis and you can follow me at james daybell and you can follow us
3: at at Unexpected Pod. We are very proud to be part of the excellent History Hit Network, home of Dan Snow's History Hit, and other fantastic shows that you should, you really should indeed be listening to. And
2: you can find out more about what we've got planned in the forthcoming months, show notes, video clips, photos of everything we discuss, and much, much more at historyhit.com forward slash unexpected. Bye! But before we switch off... No, we're still here. (laughs) But
3: before we switch off... Don't you want to tell us about History Masterclass?
2: I do. You do? Mm, yes. Yes. Now, what's um, happening with History Masterclass? So, History Masterclass is something I set up with the wonderful Susie Lipscomb to teach people all about history in nice, intimate settings in beautiful historical locations. So, no more of you than um, 30 or so in the room. And we have got one coming up uh, very soon with Jesse Childs. Oh, the lovely Jesse The Childs. lovely Jesse. Hello, Jesse. Hello, Jesse. And um, that's going to be at Stowe. So you can't really beat that for um, a, an me. amazing location. Um, and what's she, it on, sir? That's on the Gunpowder Plot. It's on the Gunpowder Plot. Terror gunpowder and plo- faith so in all- Elizabethan and Jacobean England. So it's all about oranges. Yes, yes. yes, And and secret letters. We've done that. You should listen to the History of our Orange. Anyway, and we've got many more things coming soon. So check out the historymasterclass.com. If you like learning about history, you don't have to go to university anymore. You don't have to sign up to a course. You can just come and listen and come to one of our... Or you, one you of our could, events. You, you could come and be taught by me instead. Yes, yes. Well, James <laughs> a, a is going to be coming. You're going to be coming to do some History Masterclass yes, for us. Definitely. Um, we've it's got great all fun. sorts of wonderful people coming up. We've got Tom Holland, we've got Dan Jones, we've got David Ollie we've got Bethany Hughes, uh, we've got loads Ooh, of people. It's going to be tremendous. Glassless. Great. Um, that's it. Bye. Bye. If you enjoy this podcast and you like learning about the past, check out my latest venture. It's called History Masterclass, and it's a new type of historical event where you can actually learn in person from the best historians around today in unique and stunning historical locations. You can find out more at Historymasterclass.com and follow on...
1: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?
2: That's stamps.com. Code program. Facebook and Twitter at The History MC.